This episode is brought to you by McDonald's. Not sure you've heard of them. <laughs> Up and coming uh, little restaurant, but they're making it. They're the little engine that could. You know, the moment of bliss when you spot your fries being scooped into the carton and suddenly time slows down. I have that all the time. I love their fries. Oh, yeah. yes. McDonald's fries hit different when they're free. That's another thing I'll tell you. And when they belong to your friends, there's no better feeling than thinking you're out of fries and then you discover extra fries at the bottom of your bag or else my son still hasn't finished his fries yeah. and I'm done with mine. And uh, he used to be weaker than me so I could just take them. Yeah. Now I can't because he's stronger than me. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's no wrong way to eat McDonald's fries, but we all think our way is the best way. And I like stealing them from someone else. That's my favorite <laughs> way. Get your favorite McDonald's fries today. McDonald's, check them out sometime. They're everywhere. Sona, how's your sock drawer looking? It's messy. There's a lot of single socks. Yep. I think it's time for a little spring cleaning. Oh. <laughs> Check out Bombas. Once you try a pair, you'll never look at socks the same way again. I should know. I like my Bombas. Their spring collection has new garden party socks that bring the party to your feet. My feet have never been to a party. <laughs> They've so got sad. stripes and florals and new vintagey colored rib socks. You know, when I'm wearing Bombas, I feel like my feet are being caressed okay. and cared for in a way they never have been in my life. Hmm. Get comfy this spring and give back with Bombas. Head over to bombas.com slash Conan and use code Conan for 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash Conan and use code Conan at checkout. <laughs> Hi, my name is Rahm Emanuel, and I feel a tremendous amount of self-loathing about being Conan O'Brien's friend. Okay, <laughs> you, and I hate to say this because you're uh, you're an ambassador. Yeah. Uh, you've served in many positions for our government, but you prick. How dare you? How dare you say that to me? Fall is here, hear the yell, back to school, ring the bell, brand new shoes, walk in blue. Hey there, Conan O'Brien here. Welcome to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. No Matt Gorley today. He's got the flu or so he says. Mm -hmm. I picture him water skiing right now. Yeah, I don't believe him. Yeah, laughing and drinking a margarita all at the same time. Mm -hmm. But Sona, you're here. I am. I'm yeah. here. Yeah, no. Yeah, and I'll I... I'm not going water skiing. No, no, you're with me because you believe in me and you have faith in me. No, it's because I couldn't go water skiing today. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, you couldn't. <laughs> you tried really hard. I really wanted to go water skiing. All right, well, uh, we have a uh, a show today where we're not going to do a lot of chit-chat first because our guest happened to be in town and uh, we ended up talking about a lot mm -hmm. and we went long, so I think we're going to get right into it. Mm -hmm. uh, my guest today is an American diplomat and former mayor of Chicago, served in the Clinton and Obama administrations, and he now serves as the United States ambassador to Japan. Uh, this gentleman has a very unique perspective on what's happening in the world right now, and I thought it might be valuable to check in with him, get his take. Ambassador Rahm Emanuel, welcome. This was a mistake. Uh, yeah, it was a mistake having you on. It was a mistake uh, 
We only you know, got, we me, got, we got me, to that conclusion. Let in me give people seconds. a little bit of background, which is uh, a couple of years ago, I do a week of shows in Chicago. Mm. And you, as the mayor of Chicago at the time, and you've held many posts, you agreed to come on and give me the Chicago citizenship test. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll remember is huge laughs, huge laughs. Yeah. Uh, went over very well. The rest, that's all I remember is laughter. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't recall much else, mm -hmm. but uh, you did us a solid. You did that for us. And I also want to It was explain, also your best ratings, if I remember correctly. Let me look that up right now. <laughs> oh, it's our only ratings ever, apparently. Um, that, that Nielsen thing's really coming in handy. It really is coming in handy. We uh, also, we have a bit of a, we have a connection, which is, and I, I like to, you know, be upfront about that, which is- uh, I thought we weren't going to talk about that on the show. We are going to. Okay. Ooh, uh, you have a brother- um, Rumor has you have, it. You have two brothers. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, one is an incredible brainiac uh, yes. physician, man of the world, Zeke. Mm -hmm. And then uh, your brother, uh, Ari, uh, is been voted the most evil man in the world many times <laughs> by Evil Magazine, and they really know their shit. <laughs> Ari Emanuel uh, technically represents me, but I thought this wasn't a, technically. Uh, it's really the, his friend that does most of the work. And mm. I thought it was okay to still have you on, even though there's a conflict of interest, uh, because uh, Ari has not answered my phone calls in about 15 years. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. you, you're like uh, his brothers. Exactly, yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Welcome into that distinction. Wait a second, but first of all, when you do get up on the phone? Yeah, okay, no. Yeah. That's, and it. He also, no, no, that's it. He doesn't listen. No. Um, the, and ever since he- Ari actually knows only like two pronouns and one adjective, so that's all mm -hmm. right. <laughs> So you come from this family. We'll start with the family because you, Emanuels, are quite a group. You uh, are, are three supercharged human beings that have come into life. And um, I come from a large family. And I wouldn't say that that's true of my brothers and I. What happened? What did your parents instill in you <laughs> that turned you into these, uh, uh, well, uh, semi-feral... Uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, in incredibly uh, potent, powerful beings. Tell me, what, what was the secret? Growing up in the Emanuel house, did, were, were you hit with a cane? What was yeah, happening? You know, I think, it, well, it was, I don't remember it being a cane. My dad actually did say, what are you, a schmuck? And then hit you. And that was his way of saying, I love you. So you got to understand you guys <laughs> right there. Uh, but uh, <laughs> that is a form of love. I yeah, get that. It is. Yeah. What you, but, There's a real similarity. Right, I, I'm going to do it for you. Ready? But are you a schmuck? <laughs> <laughs> it's no, funny. There's here, this, yeah, go ahead. You go got ahead. the same thing, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the, the Irish... I've always thought if you want to love a child, you don't hug it, you hit it. Exactly. <laughs> no, oh, no, head no, in the back of that with no, what are you, schmuck? <laughs> There's yeah. such a similarity between uh, and a kinship between the Irish and the Jews. I have, and I have found that all my life, uh, all my, so many of my friends are Jewish, and because I feel like they understand me, because growing up Irish and growing up Jewish feels like it's almost the same thing. Where, uh, here's the one rule of politics. When what? somebody introduces another ethnicity, you stop and you pull back because it can only get you in trouble. I'll just believe what you just said. I'm not touching it after this. I'm going to stay within the tribe, the Jews. Okay? You're afraid to comment and maybe insult the Irish? <laughs> yeah. Is that what you're afraid of? The great thing about being Irish is that you yeah. can't insult us. Yeah, yeah. Well, when someone tells an Irish joke about the Irish being drunks or stupid, uh, everyone in the room laughs of every other ethnicity, and no one laughs louder than the Irish. <laughs> so, Sona, how many times have you come actually, in just actually, screaming yeah. about what a daily, 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 yeah, I'm a potato coming, eating, yes. you know, beer chugging uh, lout? What you call me? <laughs> She's clearly never run for office because I'm not touching it in the city of Chicago. Not <laughs> oh, a chance. That's, that's smart. So here's here's what I would. Uh, 
I do think, actually, this is a very serious subject, uh, given what's happened to the American family. Mm-hmm. And so let's put the Emanuels aside. And, you know, there's this yeah, great, Mark, yeah, I, I just did it for you. Mark Twain had this great comment. At 13, I concluded my father was a fool. By 18, I was shocked what he learned in only five years. And I would say this as a father now with three right. children, uh, two in the Navy. Uh, one uh, is, uh, you know, just graduated Princeton, is teaching yoga uh, and has co-authored a book on uh, national security and, and climate change. And, you know, I can't say it was a straight line to there, mm-hmm. but there's, I, I totally am against this, oh, quality time and all this crap. You build a house, a love, and the value of education, and the rest is up to the children. Yeah. And you tell them. Second is, when I, even when I was mayor, chief of staff, I used to say this when I was chief of staff, uh, White House is family friendly to the first family. And it's like a, a mess. But we set up rules when I first, Amy and I did this together. The family will have time, and the work will then get scheduled around the family, not the family around work. Mm-hmm. And you make priorities. Simple things. We had uh, every Friday night Shabbat, we had dinner as a family. And whoever did the best grade that year, that week in reports, got to invite a friend. Second, we had uh, three nights the rest of the week, Sunday and two nights during the week. Dinner as a family, all electronics out. Second, mid-December to like early January, we went on a family vacation just as a family. Third, we used to go uh, for walks on uh, the beach as a family and stuff like that. Or I take individual the kids, and we did the same thing. And you prioritize kids. When the kids call at the office, Nobody's allowed to answer the phone but me. And if I'm in a meeting, I will tell them, but you, my staff cannot communicate. The children know they're my priority. My kids, when I ran for office, never once appeared in a commercial. Right. And you just, you build. And when I used to read, or let's say I was working after dinner, I would do my work, read, mainly reading, never on the phone, in one of their rooms when they're doing homework, just because you're present. And being more present than being either a drone or a helicopter is a better thing. Right. And those are like lessons I learned from my parents. And I think that, uh, because I do actually, I, I have a lot of feelings about this. And I also, uh, I, and I think this is actually a serious subject. Then we'll get to the neuroses. The three Emmanuel brothers <laughs> live not with love, not with that we live in fear of failure. That's the number one rule. Right. And would bring shame to the Emmanuel name if you failed. And I think that's actually a big motivator of ours, uh, beyond the fact that we, uh, Zeke and I hate Ari, which is also a very healthy thing to do. Yeah. No. But I do. We all hate Ari. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and we also me. filled with a lot of self-loathing. Yeah. <laughs> but I do, I really think this is a very, because a lot of, you know, quality time and people try to buy their kids love with material things when kids are really emotionally uh, needy. The other thing is I also, as a father of two daughters, they would probably disagree with me. I think a father's relationship with their daughter starting around while it's always important, starting really in 12 is more important than a mother's. And I took Alana on a bike trip in Europe. Leah and I went to Israel together uh, for her bobbins. I think those are really, really, because a daughter then has identity of herself right. without having to have a boyfriend or another partner to bring that identity. So I, I have a lot, I mean, I think this is really this is a fascinating. Very, I've like a, struck a, a, I struck a nerve here, and and there's a you lot did, of wisdom because here. I actually think people are uh, don't deal with like probably the most important issue facing our country, which is the breakdown of the family. I, right. I, I don't care how many parents, but there is a value here that is, is cannot be dismissed. 
I have this theory, a dumb it down. You didn't theory. want to do this show like this, but this is really what I care about. You seem angry whenever I speak. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just angry. We'll analyze this later. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, every I'm, time I'm, I start <laughs> to speak, you come in with something, but I'm going to fight you back. Yeah, we have that in common. We have, the, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is Ram? I agree. I agree with you. We're not on a first name basis. Yes, you start. You stay ambassador. with that bad ambassador. ambassador. And I, I'll give you permission to get to Ram. Okay. How about yeah, ambassador? Yeah. And then if we really get like, actually, just Ambi. You're about, my pal Ambi. Ambassador, Your Excellency. Your Excellency. <laughs> your, your most we, real Excellency. And, and dude, when I let you get to Ram, we'll know. Okay. <laughs> Until that. Okay. But you're allowed to call me dude. All right. This is fantastic. Okay. What a great <laughs> fucked up relationship this is. Um, I will tell you All in favor that, say I I have it <laughs> Oh I see how things work in Chicago yeah. You just steamrollered me um, No I agree with you I agree with you completely That it's uh, Dumb it down Is my theory a little bit Which is It's time Around with your kids Even when I'm annoying them And uh, oh, that's And being a being total American. pain in the ass I know that Yes this is our time together. I'm really bugging the shit out of my kids. This is golden time. I agree with you completely. Time. Get, I will give you a, one anecdote when I was mayor. I think Lana was- uh, I'm just going to clarify, mayor of Chicago. Oh. I'm just going to give everyone the, the download. You know? Well, Chicago is the center of the world and center of the country, so let's just go there. Mayor. Sure. Uh, dumb mayor. Uh, <laughs> okay. So I went to a, we went to a Blackhawks game, and she brought two friends, et cetera. I was wearing a flannel shirt at the hockey game. And the next day, a reporter from a major network was ridiculed, says it, well, on social media, you were ridiculed for wearing a, not wearing a Blackhawk jersey, you were wearing a flannel shirt, et cetera. And I said, you know, that's interesting. I think it's kind of cool that my daughter at 15 still wanted to be with her father, but I suppose what I was wearing as a shirt was really, really important. Yeah, yeah. And there was this, you know, I think she was willing to go with her friends, with her dad, who's a dork, to a hockey game, right. that would have been like something we would have said, hey, that's important and that's a good sign. No, let's talk about my flannel shirt, which was a very nice flannel shirt, by the way. And I wanted to say I got it from Rag and Bone and I was really proud of it. Are you getting money from Rag and Bones right now? <laughs> no, but I would like to. Okay. Or how about I just get, I, I, I don't. I wait until the ambassador thing is over, then all gifts oh, right. are accepted. You can't accept right, gifts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, here's a great That's story. Funny. I gave you a gold Rolex when you got <laughs> yeah, here. Yeah. And you put it in your pocket and I, said, Mum's the word. Every every Thursday. You said, keep it on the down low, O'Brien. Hey, every Thursday, I get a little yellow folder. And you're supposed to sign these forms for the State Department. Here, I'm going to get fired, right? We only right. went five minutes in. And it's for gifts above $25. Okay, and you have right. to sign it for ethics reform and record it. Right. So one day I come in and there's like 40 forms. And usually it's like four or five forms, you know. And I go, I'm signing, I'm signing. And I'm like, I'm feeling rushed. I got phone calls. I got to get, I go, what is this? And they go, well, these are the, we got a lot of gifts because of this reception. And I said, I'm not signing these. They go, oh, you got to have signed this state department. I said, I'm not signing these. And they go, well, you have to sign. I said, let me just be really clear. I'm from Chicago. You want to buy me? It starts with seven zeros. I'm not doing this for time. If you, if you think I'm selling America out for Croatian sparkling white wine, you know, I'm, I am from Chicago. My, we have a number, and it starts with seven zeros. That's I incredible. Said, I said, you auto-pen this ethics report, man. I am not signing this. I'm not reading it. By and contrast. And, and America's not going for a cheap I Croatian. Could. I mean, I love Croatian sparkling white wine, but it's not going for it, okay? I could so easily. I, you could purchase my loyalty with a candied ham. <laughs> That's why I can't be in politics. I could be bought so cheaply. Yeah. And later on, when they were having the hearings to take me down, yeah, it would no, be, did no. you 
Did you sell out our government for yeah. for for a ham, a Harrington ham? <laughs> I did, Your Honor. Yeah, but I would like to be uh, uh, take a rag and bone on just on November eighth, two thousand twenty-four. Yes. We'll take care of it. <laughs> yeah. All right. So it is also. I wanted to bring this up because I know this about your family, mm. having done some research, which for me is a lot, and that you were encouraged by your parents when you got to the table to be up on what was happening in the world and discuss so that you could discuss it. Yes. And it's funny because there's, uh, I know for a fact that uh, being a, a Kennedy ophile, that Joe Kennedy Sr. did the same thing with his kids. When they came to the table, he wanted them to be aware of what was happening in the world so they could discuss it intelligently. Uh, is that something that, do you feel that that helped you a lot when you were a kid, that you were encouraged, maybe even forced to read up on what was happening in the world and discuss yeah, it at the table? No, well, it was, first of all, also don't create a mental image. It was not just mom, dad, and the three boys. Right. Grandpa and grandma lived with us. Right. Grandma, my dad's um, mother, moved from Israel to Chicago when we first got born. So it was never like a, quote, unquote, Ozzie and Harriet nuclear family ever there. And it was, uh, first of all, it wasn't a discussion. Scream, you know, screaming was the tone in which you had a discussion and yelling at each other. In fact, among the three brothers, we will not discuss the movie Deer Hunter. It is off limits because it becomes violent between Ari, Zeke, and I. No, we're not going there, I, even if they're but not why there. Deer Hunter of all the movies? That's the one you all no, vehemently disagree <laughs> on? Yeah, yeah, well, we vehemently disagree about a lot of things, but that one has become literally taboo. And we can't even discuss it. And this is so great because the next time you're giving a speech somewhere, I'm going to be in the crowd. And I'm going to go, Dear Hunter! <laughs> Dear Hunter! And just watch you lose it in front of everybody. Yeah. But on we, camera. But, it's, but back to the family. It's And first of all, the first most important thing was the fact that we all ate together and we all sat there. But it was actually, you had to be prepared starting at a very, very early age. And there wasn't like a kid's table, an adult table, or a kid's discussion. Told me. We also had, like in the summer, June, first week, you had to write the three books down that you were going to read that summer. And then at the end of the summer, you had to pick the one book and lead a family dinner conversation on that book. Every child, every child, and I still read my Zach, my oldest son and I, we pick books and recommend them. Lana, I read, try to read a book with each child, just me and them. And then say, but dinner conversations, the word conversation is deceptive. I would okay. not call it a conversation. You didn't listen to somebody else. You just yelled at them about your opinion. Right. Okay. We, you know, here's a difference. I'm going to, I'm going to posit a difference maybe, and this could be just my family, but, um, cause there's so many similarities between, uh, a Jewish household and an, an Irish Catholic household. But one difference in my opinion, uh, and this is just my own personal experience is we didn't, there was no yelling. Oh, uh, there was all- You guys just, it just it, went into the colon? Yeah, I'm, I'm really... not kidding. <laughs> it, went into the, it went into the colon, and when I had my first colonoscopy- well, I could also be a doctor. Who knew I, that? That was so quick without examining or touching your abdomen, and I knew that. When well, I, I'm impressive. telling you, it everything gets repressed. Yeah, no, no, yeah. And yeah, my first colonoscopy, they opened me up you and know they heard why? my father's screams <laughs> come out of my ass <laughs> Here's the from day. 1969. Here's Get the... in here, you son of a all, right. All came out in a torrent. Here it is. Ready? And the reason it goes there, as opposed to us. You it, guys get it out. No, no, no. Here's the difference. You guys hold it, and then on Sundays, you just tell the priest, and it's done. You're absolved, and you go another week. 
we have to hold it all the way to Yom Kippur. And you get a whole year of holding this stuff. So right. it actually does burst out quicker because a year is too long. You guys just get a week and it's how long you can hold guilt. But see, this is interesting that, because- Don't you think that's true? No, I think I think the difference between a week and a year- uh, I'm not going to give too much credit to the priests because I would freeze <laughs> well, up. When I would get into the confessional, and I've talked about this before- there. Let's unpack that. <laughs> <laughs> I would get into the, watch it, watch it, buddy. That's my religion. I told you. you I would go that, into the confessional. There goes my electoral account. I would, I would freeze up because I would forget all the things that I was mad about or had transgressed. And I would lie. And I'd say, I stole a lawnmower. When I didn't. I never did. I would try to make it more interesting than it is. But Sona, you come from, I believe it's Armenian. I've never really yes, delved into you this. Know, you know it's Armenian. I yes. do. Oh, yeah, my yeah, God. Yeah. She's so Armenian. Uh, but you guys, you scream at each other We're and you're outward. just having a conversation, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, we're naturally very loud. And then when we do talk, we talk over each other. It's the same with your family. Yeah. So his voice is not recorded for the podcast. People can just hear it from the booth. (laughs) Amy said when we first she came to her first family meal, my wife, she said, why are you and Ari fighting? I said, we're not fighting. She goes, no, no, no. You were fighting. I go, no, we were talking. We're talking. Yeah. And so it's very when people come outside, it's very like. This family needs Blue Cross Blue Shield. That's all I was saying. They, and it has to cover mental health, okay? You know, it's incredible to have the flexibility to work in all sorts of places, whether it's taking video calls from the park or emailing large files while you're grocery shopping. Sona, this is good for you. Is it? Because you're always doing whatever work you do for me from fun locations. But I like blaming it on not having reception. I know, but you can't do that here. Working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network, which is why you should check out T-Mobile, Sona. Then you got no excuses. They're America's largest and fastest 5G network. With T-Mobile, you'll be covered in more places with the 5G speed you need for your life on the go. Plus, they also cover more highway miles with 5G than anybody else. Check it out if you don't believe me. Hey, Blay, you've got T-Mobile, right? I do. I was actually just up in the woods in Idlewild. It was fantastic for the weekend. And uh, my T-Mobile didn't miss it. My T-Mobile phone didn't miss it. You know, I wouldn't think you'd need a cell phone because you speak so loudly into a microphone. (laughs) Well, I had to look some stuff up. Just take it. Just take it down. I didn't know what brunch was. I can hear him. When the restaurant's open for brunch. Okay. uh, So I used uh, my T-Mobile coverage to check out brunch. That's all right. Anyway, wherever you are, you know, take it from the loudspeaking Blay. If you're on the go, you want to be in the know, you want to make the show. What? Uh, T-Mobile. Okay. That's the one for you. That was I should weird. have rhymed it with go. Anyway, <laughs> find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. Fastest based on median overall combined 5G speeds, according to analysis by Ookla of Speed Test Intelligence Data Q3 2023. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. in today, Sona, I was thinking about just how much has changed over the years. Yeah. You know, when I was a kid, we were all dancing the Jitterbug and the Watusi. Okay. And then you grow up now and there's mosh pits and everything's gone <laughs> cuckoo. There's this new thing called rap. I don't know what's <laughs> happening anymore. But guess what? In a world full of change, there's one thing that hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. The great taste of Miller Lite. Are you with me on this? Oh, yeah, I'm right there with you. Yeah, and you know, another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less filling. Yeah. I hate a filling beer. When I have a filling beer, I just want to sit down in a beanbag chair for six days, but not with Miller Lite. 
So what's the best thing about the original light beer? Mm -hmm. Back in 1975, the big debate in America was what's more important, that it, it's less filling Miller Lite or it tastes great. Yeah. The cool thing is when we all realized it's both. Okay. It's less filling and it tastes great. Yeah, all right. Everybody wins. Everybody wins. Miller Lite keeps it simple. Undebatable quality, great taste, only 96 calories. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and it's less filling. Tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com slash Conan. Or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Yeah. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces. Fewer cows and carbs than premium regular beer. If most people are being honest, no one really knows what you do for work, right? Yeah, it's true. Yeah, especially if you're in a what I like to call B2B. Oh, you know? what, what is that? I'll explain. Okay. That's a business doing business with other businesses. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I call it B2B. It's a little thing. It's also, uh, it's a boy band I'm working on. <laughs> anyway, fortunately, LinkedIn has a network of professionals who get what you do, and you can reach the right people who matter most to your company because they're LinkedIn. Yeah. That's what they do. Yeah. LinkedIn has over, this is the fun part to say, one billion members. Are you serious? Yeah. That's not that's more people than are on Earth because there are people on the moon using it in Saturn. <laughs> that's one over one billion members on its platform, including 70 million decision makers. God, I'd like to meet a decision maker. Since LinkedIn members are regularly updating their work history, you can precisely build a target audience by job title, industry, company, and more. Man, you can reach the right people for your, I'm going to say it again, B2B business with LinkedIn ads. Yeah. Gets even better because LinkedIn will give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Hmm. There you go. Just go to linkedin.com slash Team Coco to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash Team Coco. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. So I want to go over your resume very quickly, okay. inform the listeners. Uh, you were a, uh, one of the, a very, very early advisor to uh, the Clintons, to Bill Clinton back in Arkansas, correct? Mm -hmm. uh, I was part of the paint store. There's a group of us that when we first got there, they, the campaign was in a paint store. That's what we call ourselves the paint store clacks. And so what year would that be that you- I moved are... down in October 91. Okay. And he announces in October. Yeah. Okay. So you are working very early in the Clinton administration, uh, then uh, chief of staff. Senior advisor to uh, Bill Clinton. Yep. I was then uh, a congressman. Mm -hmm. uh, second term, I was chair of the D Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. Third term, I was caucus chair. Fourth term, I was a member elected for an hour, and then I became chief of staff to President Obama's first chief of staff. And how long were you with uh, President Obama? 21 months, but if you counted uh, 21 months, that would be the whole thing from chief of staff. And then when I go out and I run for mayor of the city of Chicago, right. serve two terms, and then I took a break, and then I'm uh, ambassador for uh, 20 months, although for the Japanese, it feels like 20 years, but 20 months. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're slowly getting used to it. I'm going to say this. Let me jump ahead to the ambassador role. Yeah. When you were announced uh, or, or nominated or put forth uh, as, uh, mm. as an ambassador to, uh, to Japan, there are many people who thought this is an odd choice because your, your style is so tell it like it is, mm -hmm. kind of pugnacious, and people thought this will not be a good mix maybe with Japanese culture. And yet 
that has not seemed to have been a problem for you. The no. Japanese people kind of like, the, am I getting it right? <laughs> yeah. They like the, your... Three things. One, I evaluate all the advice I was getting, you know, you should, you know, Japanese are more reserved, more uh, quiet. And I realized, you know what? Being inauthentic was not going to work. And I said, I can be myself. And I've been in many, many positions given my titles and roles I had to do in jobs. I know where you have a feel for where the line was. I haven't crossed it. And it was better to be authentic. Second is, and a serious note, I mean, obviously big thing about taking trains. I've taken trains my whole life. Japanese do love their trains and I admire them and I'm on them all the time. But I did this study. I asked the office to do this. Give me images over the last year of US government officials or pre-COVID of what's happened. And we like, and Americans, seven black sedans drive up. You get out of the back of the back of the car, the secret service is running around. You walk into a building. An hour later, you walk out. You don't say anything to the camera. You get in the black sedans right. and everybody drives out. I said, that's it. We're not doing this. I said, I'm going to walk to my meetings in the government. We're going to take trains everywhere. And I said, and when people from our government come, like uh, Bill Nelson from NASA, he did a town hall with high school kids. And then you have to do one thing interacting with the, uh, the public of Japan because we are not going to act as arrogant as we are as a superpower. We're yeah. going to, where our public engagement is going to change. When Secretary Blinken came to Japan, he landed in Tokyo and took a train to the G7 foreign ministers meeting because you are going to engage the public where they live and we're going to show a different face of America. And then third, I do think the Japanese kind of look at me like, you know, when that, when a dog slightly hears a different sound and they mm -hmm. turn their head, they kind of look at me like, we never knew somebody could be this kinetic. I mean, like they're kind of, they're kind of both repulsed and uh, attracted at the same time by the amount of energy and stuff like that. So, yeah. I mean, and it's worked. So well, far, I will say there's so one far. caveat. The trains in Japan are awesome. Right, you wanna, you wanna, <laughs> are, I mean, I would, I would eat, I would eat on those right. trains. I would sleep on those trains. I would live on those trains. Those trains are absolutely gorgeous, and they they run to the second. Want to hear a fact? Yeah. Okay. So the Shinkansen is their high speed, 150, 175 miles an hour. Just and you and you put a coffee cup, nothing spills. At right to the brim, right. All year. All Shinkansen runs all year. How many minutes are they late? And I said minutes. Three and a half. I mean, I'm like, no disrespect, and I'm a big user of the Chicago Transit Authority. That's between the Montreux stop and the Irving Park stop, okay? Uh, that's on a day right. for a train. And I'm running down, I think, a great system in Chicago. Three and a half minutes. Right. And people get irritated when it's, a little late, I said, like, you guys got to chill, man. This is 10 seconds, but it's that efficient of a system. Yeah. And it is, there's like the world's public transportation system, and then there's Japan. It's in a different class, a total, it's one of the marvels of the world. I'm not kidding. It's just an incredible, clean, efficient, well-run, and respectful of you as a customer systems. It's really great. And now they want to build it to 220 miles. I, I'm like good at 170. We can't go five, okay? But it's really an incredible system. I'm with you. Wait, 225 miles an hour? They're building a new maglev. They want to do it. They're testing it now in Nagoya. It's really incredible. I'm moving to Japan. 
It's uh, let me tell you. I something. mean, I'm telling you. I've I've been when I've been there. I've it's absolutely a great loved it. I, I would love to be ambassador if that's possible. Oh, I don't no, think no, I do. no, no, I, no. I don't no. think you. Oh, come I, on! No, no, known no, quantity. No. That's what we're after. You actually, step down. No, no. I, I, what I, about I, it? I don't see the background check working. <laughs> I just don't. I don't. There's only there may be thirty five thousand hours of offensive footage. Other than that, <laughs> I don't but, see a problem. But, 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 but let's do this. Compare it to the U.S. senator voting on you. You're going to do. Just fine. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I will say it's a uh, process. It is. I'll give you one other thing. And I, I always say, they say, what is your, what have you been shocked at or whatever? And I came from the city of Chicago as mayor, and this is true of any other big city in America, but I created these safe passage routes so a kid could walk eight blocks straight to school, not thinking of their safety, but their studies. And we created these routes, employed people on the south side, west side of the city of Chicago. In Japan, Little kids, five years old, backpack this big, they're this big, and they're in a school uniform, little baseball cap. They walk eight blocks to school by themselves, get on a train, the ones that we love. They put their car down. Their parents, parents get an instant text that their child went through the turnstile. They cross streets and they raise their hand above their head. The cars stop. They know exactly where to cross, and they go eight, six, seven blocks to school. When they're let out, they're let out. The principal's not standing there, 20 parents running around. Just, it's the single most beautiful thing in the world. Mm -hmm. And I always say to the job, you don't see it because it's there every day. Yeah. You come from Chicago and it stands out with incredible beauty. I mean, when I also got there, a parent, usually the mother is 20 feet, 30 feet ahead and walking and the child is walking behind. She doesn't look, doesn't turn around. Not worried about a child being snatched, abducted, not worried about sexual harassment of a child. They have their childhood. It's not stolen from them. It's one of the most stunningly beautiful, gorgeous things in the world. I just. Uh, what do you I, attribute that to? Is that cultural? Is it. Uh, well, I mean, what what, what, I don't what think can I, we attribute it to? Uh, because I don't think obviously I, there are certain, obviously different policies, uh, and, and that gets into a whole other conversation about. It's a society. You're not allowed to have a gun, you know. There's, but there's, but there's so much. But it sounds to me that it goes so much deeper than that. What is no, it's it? A, it is that is true. It's yes, they don't have guns, etc. But that's not right. that. That's not it. I don't think. And this is again, I'm an outsider. I can't. I think there's a respect for life and a respect for human beings, and also a self-respect. And I think it's a and also a shared sense of community and obligation to each other. And it's I that's an outsider who doesn't speak the language, has a translator, ask people constantly. Um, but my sense is there is a value put on the individual as a part of a community yep. and enshrined uh, mm -hmm. into the DNA then of the society. Um, so do the, do the laws help that? A hundred percent. Do they start there? No, they're an emphasis on top of something more fundamental in the culture. I mean, there's also, I will, besides the training of the kids, I, there's, I'll get, you know, we can't get people in the office by 11 a.m. They can't get people out of the office till 11 p.m. I mean, you, I walk home from dinners and people are coming out of the office at 11 p.m. They work nonstop. The other thing that is really beautiful, or I think is, I didn't like it at first, but like you go to a restaurant, mm -hmm. you walk out and the chef slash owner is there and they bow to thank you for coming and they hand you a gift. No tipping is allowed anywhere. That's their job. And they want to make sure you, not as a slow customer, but as a client, enjoyed it. It's really stunningly uh, beautiful. Now, they have a challenge. 
on uh, they have a department, a cabinet position for loneliness. Yes. So not everything is perfect. I'm familiar with this. I did a trip to uh, to Tokyo, one of my travel shows. Yeah. And while I was there, I w- we discovered the concept that you can rent family members because it's a real issue. Mm-hmm. So I rented uh, wife, daughter, uh, and uh, um, and a grandfather. And then I started, and uh, it's all perfectly legit. They just hang out with you; nothing creepy happens. But there, but uh, it was so great because I ended up talking to the grandfather about all the things that bother me about my father. (laughs) And it was very therapeutic and he didn't speak English, so he understood none of it, but smiled with this beaming smile. And I felt like it was worth six years of therapy. I left I left those people and I was like, I miss that guy. I think you scared them. I did probably yeah, frighten I them. Think well, you really I'm scared a very strange them. looking man. Yeah. I stand out. Also the one other thing is, you know, you go to a restaurant, they'll explain to you, oh, this fish is caught in this bay and this is the only time of year. And I'm like, and the, the corn is grown or, you know, the rice is here or the vegetables. And I said, you know, in America, the big thing is farm to table. I said, you guys have been doing it for like uh, 800 years. You may want to market this thing, okay? Okay, <laughs> we think we've discovered something that you've been doing for 800 years. Okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we came up with it 11 years ago. <laughs> yeah. it's, it didn't exist until somebody grew a piece of corn in the backyard called farm to table, okay? This is a thing, because uh, there, there's something, this is a unique opportunity I have uh, to, to talk to someone who's had these very different positions of mm-hmm. power and I'm trying to understand, obviously the, uh, the world internationally is a frightening place right now. I maintain it's always been a frightening place, just that we have more access to all more the information. More frightening people. Yeah, but it is without a doubt, we're facing all these challenges and I agree with you. I think you've gone out of your way to identify certain parties because there's a tendency to go, well, it's gray areas, black and white, and you are identifying certain regimes, certain parties, whether it's Putin, China. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you're saying, look, these people are bullies and we have to stand up to these people. And this is a value of the United States of America when I think a lot of people are feeling a little wishy-washy about that. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I mean, my I'm been very specific about uh, China and in the uh, recent past, uh, Russia, 100%, because, and it's not just, they're bullies, but they're also, look, there's, I don't mean to make it binary, but in this case it is because they've chosen, which is you either can have a rules-based system that applies to all, or you can have the raw exercise of power, of power that applies to the powerful. And I don't think you want to live in a world where the raw exercise of power. Second is Putin and, uh, well, Russia and China have decided to militarize their maps. Okay, and they're going to execute those maps, their vision of the world, where the boundaries are, where the lines are, by armed forces. That is not the world we want to live in. Now, we are not a perfect judge of the rules. We have violated them. We have been imperfect, but we have bet we have more often than not abided by them, and more often than not held other countries accountable when they violate them. And when you don't have American power, the country, the world does feel like it's off its axis, as you do right now as we're sitting here today. Uh, talking. And that is why we have a responsibility. And then when it comes to situation, I'll give you an example. I have the most recent thing about China. You know, in Japan, the prime minister did a cabinet shakeup and announced, I'm going to have a new minister of foreign affairs and a new minister of defense. 
and he announced it to the world. They barely have an armed forces. Now they're building it up. China, in that same period of time, the foreign minister and the defense minister both went missing. Gone. And they have 500 nuclear head weapons. I'm sorry. You want to be a world power? You have, China has a lot to contribute to the world. But if you have 500 nuclear weapons, who's in charge? Because in God forbid something happens in the next three weeks, we'd like to know, is it an 800 collect call or who are we calling here? <laughs> right, okay? Right. And I'm sorry, this is not the secretary of agriculture or the head of the environmental agency. This is the two people, two positions that outwardly face the world. You have an obligation with 500 nuclear weapons. Just like, who are we calling? Are we doing it on a, on a, on a zip call? What, what, how are we doing this? Right. And, I'm, and we're going to call it out because this is not, you want to lie about your unemployed youth? You don't want to release the data? You think that some, that's how somehow the youth are going to feel better? Fine, go do that to your youth. But when it comes to the Minister of Defense, you don't get to say, I ain't telling you. Who, I, they, since China knew that I was doing your show today, today they announced he's no longer the Minister of Defense because they knew we were doing this show. And they were really scared <laughs> of that we were going to be so prescient. The but Chinese my, are terrified of me that, and that, have been for a long that's time. That's going to get you confirmed. Ready? That is your opening line for your confirmation, Harry. <laughs> Okay, there it is. We there just wrote right that. I'm Conan. My name I'm, is Conan O'Brien, and the Chinese are terrified of me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, ninety to two. Ninety to two. There yeah. it is. You'll get confirmed. Yeah. You got to get the two to show. And off. Someone's going to say there's this footage of you in 1998 <laughs> yeah. jumping into caramel yeah. in a thong. No, but it, but here's the thing. And my thing is on uh, look uh, on China. They they put a map out. Yeah. India, official complaint. Indonesia, official complaint. Vietnam, official complaint. Philippines official complaint, Japan official complaint, Malaysia official complaint. Um, that is an incredible map to put out and everybody in the neighborhood doesn't like it. And and we have, Xi has made a decision to have a rigidity past about China's great past. We've just gone through uh, Putin's desire to be Catherine and Peter the Great all wrapped up in one. And that's the 17th and 18th century. I hate to see what if they go back to the 15th century. So forget it. We're going to call them out, and here's the deal. You want to do the raw exercise of power? Fine. We're going to be for rules, and guess what? And here's the other thing that Americans have to remember. We have an immigration problem. People want to be part of our world, okay? Young men, the future of Russia, Moscow and St. Petersburg, they've left. Beijing, Shanghai, left. Yeah. There's a young woman just died, is brain dead in a hospital in Tehran because they grabbed her in a subway. They're dying on the streets. Nobody... There is no immigration problem in Iran, China, or Russia. They have an immigration problem, not an immigration problem. Right. People, we forget this. Breaking news. Freedom is seductive, and people want to be a part of it. Yeah. And we suck a lot of times because we don't allow a lot of people that live here to be part of that, and we have to work on it. That said, do never lose sight of how powerful this country is in the values we have and people want to be a part of it. And I'm going to call out China and call out Russia because they need to be called out. Uh, let me ask you this specifically. Thank you. Now that felt therapeutic. So thank you for that. We're going to play music under it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> can I get a little, but not the music I, you want. Um, I, would I would like piano. Yeah. yeah a no, little, no, no, a no, little Philip glass no, piece no, or something no, like that. No, it's not oh, going to be well, what you want. Yeah, yeah. Well, wait a second. It's going to be Jethro Tull. <laughs> 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 I can live with that. Um, okay. Okay. 
there is something I want to ask you about this because something I've been thinking about recently, which is uh, obviously uh, I have very strong opinions that we need to help uh, Ukraine as much mm. as possible and that uh, Putin has to be stopped. That is a very clear issue to me. But as a history buff, and I know you're a history buff, I know that there's something in um, the American DNA that has always made us very reluctant to get involved. We were very reluctant to get involved in World War I, very reluctant to get involved in World War II when it was mm. clearly a moral imperative. Mm -hmm. And we are, as a country, the, the United States has always wanted to say, we wanna take our toys and go home. We just wanna stay here. Let's not get involved. It costs too much money. When the money involved in helping some of these countries is a fraction of what we spend on other things, which I think are probably less important. What is it about Americans? Do you think that's changing or do you think that that's something that's just in the DNA of being an American that we would rather not, given our druthers, get involved? Well, it does go, I mean, to go back in history, it goes back, I mean, 100 years and you got more than 100 years rather uh, to the founding of not being involved in Europe's wars, right? not being involved in other wars. Now, it does change post-World War II where there's a decision, and I just finished this great book on uh, Max Hastings' books on Korea, and I did not realize how significant a drop-off post-World War II was in the defense that clearly you could say from a deterrent standpoint, had, everybody points to the Atchison speech, but we actually were caught flat-footed and not capable after, right after World War II as it related to the Korea War, yes. militarily. We weren't, we weren't prepared. Not only not prepared, but defense-wise, how significant a drawdown that was. So we almost, you could argue in the first five years, repeated the same thing, mistakes of post-World War I. But it, Americans don't, they don't want to be obligated and worried with the rest of the world, but it keeps knocking on our front door. And yes. we, so we start this process of, and that we're in the middle right now, the early stages of that process again, post the Cold War, where things were working accordingly, and we let our deterrence guard down. And now we're in the mad dash rush, both in Europe, the Mideast, and Indo-Pacific, of getting our deterrence back up to where it needs to be so we don't have these type of wars. Yeah, and I think it's very easy politically for people when there's times of trouble to say, why are we spending money over there? Uh, why are we spending money on those countries when America should come first without thinking a little bit further and thinking, no, this is in our vital interests? Well, I actually, uh, I would go back. I think that's a false choice, which is there are things that we should have been spending money on at home. Yes. Okay. But it wasn't coming at the expense of spending and doing the type of things you need to do at, right. at home, uh, overseas. Uh, and for a long time, we didn't make the type of investment. And I'm going to do a plug here. Uh, for uh, my boss, President Biden, because I do think the type of things that he's doing on whether you talk chips, infrastructure spending in the United States, or for that matter, on uh, climate change type of investments, those are desperately needed for America, yep. desperately needed for our leadership. But they don't come from the same pot of resources or somehow mean you can't invest in certain things here when you're making sure that Ukraine does not uh, disappear as a country, uh, a language, a people, and an identity separate from distinct because the best thing we can do to crumble Russia is to show a successful Slavic nation on its border, democratically, politically, society-wise, and economically. And that is what he lives in fear of, is that in fact is when you look at Poland and its success, you look at the rest of Eastern Europe, Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, and then if Ukraine joined that, 
the mirror, it would be a house of mirrors for him, and he would, and all his warts and all would be exposed to the Russian people. I was shocked that, uh, I mean, obviously he's got things locked down, but I, I don't know what- Not as would, best as you think. No, no, well, exactly. I would, I would have thought that uh, a recent insurrection uh, by his top military, uh, I, I would have thought that that would have weakened him more. Maybe it has, I don't know. But it, I'm kind of stunned that Putin probably, I mean, he does, as you said, admires the czars. He probably has it set up that he's impregnable. There's you know? one thing, uh, this is true about uh, Putin and Xi. We used to think of this, and we have to update this. We used to think of the gulag you get sent away. They right. take you out. Because of the phone and technology, the gulag comes to you. You don't go away to the gulag. It comes to your front door, into your house, and on your phone. You make a phone call, they know about it. You text, they know about it. Not just who, what, and what you said. When you go and you're at a scene, God forbid you're at a scene where there's a protest, they know you were there. So the gulag is not a place you go. It goes with you wherever you are. Mm -hmm. And that's how they have perfected the state operation. And we have to start changing the way we think about it. And that's why, while I'm not saying they're absolutely secure internally, they have mastered the security system in a way that we not even begun to think about. You did come in here with several phones. Yes, I did. <laughs> and uh, In fact, I want to make sure that actually... The Communist Party is meeting now. Can you speak a little louder, please? <laughs> Hi, Conan here. Your greatest fear. Um, but that's got to be. I got one for do you when I you talk government on, and family, and another one for my mother. Okay, <laughs> someone that's not charged. <laughs> that phone's from 1988. <laughs> it's a giant brick with an antenna. That's for mom. That's right. You know Chuck Schumer has that flip phone. Why do you use that? So his mother can't call him. Okay, that's why. <laughs> Sona, where else can you go surfing and skiing the same day, huh? I don't know. Or check out a world-class art museum and then camp at a dark sky sanctuary that night, huh? Uh, yeah. Yeah, where else can you hike through Redwoods and then get a luxury spa treatment? Where? Well, you live there, California. <laughs> California, Sona. No matter where California. you go across the state, you'll find a way to play. I'm a California resident. So are you. Sona, you are a lifelong California resident. I'm a lifer. I love this place. This is a beautiful state. Gorgeous. So many different, wonderful ecosystems in one state. You can hang out by a Palm Springs pool. You know, you can go whale watching, you can go hiking in Yosemite, and then uh, talk about the great cities in California. You get all this amazing food, sushi, whatever you want, they got it in California. Hey, if you can't find it in California, man, you got a problem. Yeah. I shouldn't have done that. I made that up on my own. Anyway, I love California. Discover why California is the ultimate playground. Head to visitcalifornia.com to start planning your trip today. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all sometimes have issues or things we need to talk about, get off our chest. I have that all the time, don't you, Sona? I do. Yeah, and we need people to talk to. And we carry around different stressors. We carry big stressors, we carry small stressors. 
Uh, I was raised in a culture where you're supposed to kind of bottle it up. And I've learned over time that that's not the best thing to do. If you do let things rattle around in there for a while without talking it out, it can affect your life very negatively. Well, therapy is a safe space where you can get things off your chest, figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. BetterHelp's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. A lot of people have a barrier towards getting therapy because they think, well, I don't know, I've got to find the person, talk to them. What if I? it's not a good match? I Then it's awkward. None of that. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and then you switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Conan today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Conan. I want to bring up Israel. Um, obviously, this is... Uh, incredibly complex conversation and a complex conversation for anybody who's, I mean, uh, you know, it's generational. Anybody called Ram Israel Emanuel. Yeah, yeah, it's a very complicated <laughs> conversation. Yeah. He's my, Italian. You're Italian whenever you need to be. I'm going to give you this. I used to, in the mornings, I would, uh, in the Clinton White House, I would go in and Leon Panetta was the chief of staff and I would go in and I'd start 7 a.m., I, he and I and were the first two to get there. And I was screaming. I, Leanne goes, and then my hands are flying. And Leanne goes, what are you, Italian? I go, Italian enough to date your daughter? He goes, you're not that Italian. <laughs> <laughs> I just look at you, look up at me. You go, you're not that Italian. Yeah. Okay, no. Well, you're Italian, but not that Italian. <laughs> so, uh, Ram Israel Emanuel. That's the name there. So, let's talk about this. So, uh Obviously, what's happened in Israel and what's happening right now in, in Gaza is dreadful, mm -hmm. and uh, this has been a passionate interest of yours your entire life. It's part of your family legacy. Uh, how are you feeling about things right now? Uh, it's like I have 600 feelings, and, mm -hmm. and I think that's just a good start. Uh, I'm amazingly depressed. Uh, I'm angry. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and my anger doesn't have just one audience and, um, pained. Um, I mean, I can, I, I, and I don't even think I'm scratching the surface. Yeah. I mean, I start, so one is having worked on the Oslo Accords with President Clinton, the Y plantation. One of the more memorable times was going to Aqaba, Jordan, watching the Israeli army and, uh, and the King Hussein and Yitzhak Rabin signed a peace agreement. One of the most beautiful things I saw as in public life was when they played the national anthem, the Israeli uh, military leadership facing the Jordanian military stood at attention. And when they played Hatikva, the Israeli national anthem that was reciprocated, I thought it was a stunning way to end a war and end hostilities, to see two armies stand at attention and to the other country's national anthem stand in full honor and respect of that. Now, I kind of describe myself as a security hawk and a dove on peace. That's kind of, and I think the abandonment of 
by both parties, and I think more abandonment by, by the Palestinians when you look at all the opportunities they could have had by the Palestinian leadership, not the Palestinian people. I think the Palestinian people, from my understanding, the last to give up on peace. I think their leadership abandoned it uh, and never, you can't sign a peace agreement or Oslo Accords and two weeks later blowing up buses in Tel Aviv. Just, you either got peace, you know, as Yogi Berra said, when you get to a fork in the road, take it, and they didn't do it. Uh, now, that said, there are, Israeli, there are leaders in Israel who also walked away from it. That said, 1,400 citizens of the state of Israel in their homes were raped, murdered, decapitated, in a total violation of their rights and what we believe in. And no government would allow that to happen to any citizen. And so I'm like, and I don't think I have a singular emotion. I have right. not only multiple, I have contradictory emotions. I mean, when I was back in Chicago, it was as you probably saw a young Palestinian child was uh, murdered. And I called the parents and I would reach out to the father and I talked to the father and I just be, no, no parents should have a child killed because of ethnicity. And so you, ache as a human being. That said, a state exists, you know, the first responsibility of a state is the security of its citizens, and you violated that. And for Israel in that neighborhood, deterrence, we were just talking about it as it relates to the United States, deterrence is, uh, you know, your first and foremost responsibility is deterrence, deterrence, deterrence. And I'm sorry, they're going to restore returns. And I get that, and it's unfortunate because there's going to be a lot, a lot of loss of human life. And I also say this, and you know, Israel requires weapons to protect its citizens. Hamas puts its citizens in front to protect its weapons. That is not a moral equivalence. It just is not. And there's a moral difference here. And you're seeing it play out, and it's going to be horrific. Now, I could go on and on about this, but I'm, I will give you one thread of optimism where the world feels on uh, the lost its axis. I think not immediately, and it's hard to say because we're sitting here on week two of a horrendous moment. You know, if you think about 73 is the Yom Kippur War, 79 Israel and Egypt make peace and disengage, and, they, and it's basically since 79 held through a lot of tribulations. Yeah. I think a couple things have occurred. One, this fallacy that Israel can have a great economy, make peace with the global area, and ignore the Palestinian, that is not true. Now, whether a Palestinian leadership wanting to show up and, uh, and make peace, that has to come from, out of this. And I think that may starting to appear. Second is the idea that you can obliterate Israel or it's not, you know, from they say from, the, from basically the Sea of Galilee to the Mediterranean, that also fallacy yeah. is off. Yeah. And I think with the right leadership and coaxing, mainly by the United States, but not absent others responsible, you can get to a place, not immediately, not the first days, not the first year, to a place where you actually make something of this tragedy and tragic moment. But there's going to have to be a level of deterrence reestablished and a level of security reestablished. So I do, that's what I, that is a thread that there is a better place. And I think out of the rubble, you'll get there. This leads me to... A much bigger question I had for you, which is after all these different positions you've held and you've been in the belly of the beast, the beast, you've been in the colon of the beast, you've been in the <laughs> lungs of the beast, you've been in the heart of the beast, uh, you've migrated from organ to organ in the beast. Um, 
I always describe myself as like a 52% optimist, 51 to 52% optimist, which is I understand that the world is a terrible place, uh, but I still think that things are slightly better or could be better and that we are moving very slowly forward. I think President Obama has the same feeling mm -hmm. that history does not progress in a straight line, but progresses. Where are you in all that? Have, with your with your unique perspective? Well, I mean, as a former ballet dancer, sometimes you take a step forward and sometimes you take a step sideways and sometimes a step back. So I think with human agency, it gets better. Without it, it falls backwards. And there are certain things you can look at, and not just because they're scientific, but other things where it has improved. Um, and so I, I'm slightly on this side of optimism because if you weren't, you wouldn't get out of bed in the morning. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I am, uh, and going back at least in this, because we're talking about this, I, when I think back, I mean, so I organized the signing on the South Lawn, the day of, et cetera, not the negotiations that was held by the Israelis and the Palestinians. Was that September 13th, 1993? Yeah. You know why I know that date? Yeah, because you're Jewish. Because I'm uh, very yeah. Jewish, you're very Jew, devout you're, you're, Orthodox. You're a Jew wannabe. I am an Orthodox Jew. Yeah, yeah, Jew wannabe. And that was the uh, day. Not, uh, yeah. That was the day my late night show started, yeah. and that, so really? it gave me the perfect joke so. for the start of that. And so, in a very so, <laughs> this is how egotistical I am. I think of that date. That historic date of peace and that photograph is the day I started my late night show. <laughs> you are, this is so, I always describe it. That's how ding, sick I am. Yeah. DC, New York is focused on the world outside. Yeah, yeah. DC's focused on power and LA's focused on itself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's such a, yeah. so here I, and I was thinking this historic moment and I brought my father who fought in the war of independence mm -hmm. for Israel and fought in the Ergon, the, on one of the underground, the right wing underground. And I brought him to the uh, signing and I remember going with, President uh, Clinton to Akabat for the signing with Jordan, the Y plantation, we'd helicopter every morning up to the Y plantation for uh, the, the negotiations between Netanyahu, Arafat, et cetera. And I wasn't there, but I talked every day to President, or nearly every day to President Clinton during the Camp David. And there was an, you know, it struggled, but you thought there was a ticket to a better place. And then you look here and you were kind of pulled back. Um, but in the end of the day, I'm on the, it does get better, but it gets better with human agency. Yes, yeah. They, that, that's the part you have to, it's, it doesn't get better. There's not a gravitational pull towards justice. Nope. There, it, it only gets better with human agency and uh, hard work. And it's interesting you say that about uh, President Obama. He, I, I've seen him in some times where he's a little on the darker side too. I'm does, sure you, yeah. yeah. No. Not, you know, not all of us, who, when you do that stuff, you you in the end of the day, you kind of come there, but you have some moments of doubt about <laughs> this whole thing. I didn't realize Barack Obama was a Muppet. Uh, yeah. Apparently he's a no, Muppet. I just gave you that, that's a translation in the Oval Office. Oh, trust me, I have always understood that there were days when Mahatma Gandhi came home and was like, fuck it, fuck it, fuck it, fuck it. Three, three things I used to say. I used to say, at the, I used to say at the White House. I used to say at the White House, you know, like, thank God it's Friday. Two more work days till Monday. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, other thing, the other thing is a former chief of staff. Now, you go from the East Wing to the West Wing, that right, walk. Right. There's like 
three oils of her George Washington, two of Jefferson. You go next door is the Roosevelt room. You got Truman's over here. You know, you have a couple Adams over there. I'm like, you know what? We're going to take these down and we're going to put up Fillmore, Zach Taylor, and, you know, a couple of these up here. Because I'm telling you, that walk, east wing to the west wing, the worst walk anywhere in the world. Because you literally go those 200 feet and they pass Washington, Jefferson, Adams, Monroe, Jackson, right. Fr Teddy Roosevelt, Franklin Roosevelt. No, I think Zach Taylor was okay. Right. I mean, we can try. I could be, if you grade it on a curve, let's get Zach Taylor in there. Let's get Phil Moore in there. I right. Mean, then we're doing okay because by the time they get to the Oval Office, they it's a mess. <laughs> they, their head is a total mess. Better for self-esteem. Uh, yeah. You good, know what they should do? It's they not should, good for the chief of staff. They should have a self-esteem like, room. Get, let's get back to who this is important. That is not good for the chief of staff at 8 a.m. in the morning to go like, we're going for Mount Rushmore. No, not. No. No, we're going for a highway here in a high school, okay? We are not going. Can, can you yeah. like, blah, blah, what about high school? Okay, will you, uh, name yeah. a high school. That's a win for you today. Do we have to do Mount Rushmore again? Yeah. It's Saturday at 8 a.m. I mean, come on. It's the worst walk in, it's literally, everybody talks about the walk of shame. No, the walk from the East Wing to the West Wing. It's a horrible walk. Take Washington out of here. And we're going to put in here Buchanan, okay? He hasn't really got Buchanan enough time. Buchanan was bad. I know. All right, all right. I'm going to go back to the original. You know, but story. like, yeah, no. Uh, Buchanan, Andrew Johnson, put him up. Yeah, but you know? I mean, was terrible. Buchanan was bad. I'm going to give you something else. So I, my middle one, who I love dearly, I love them all. I used to, that was the other thing my mother used to say. I used to say, you love Zeke more than me. She goes, no, I hate you all equally. That's also a key point. <laughs> That's a mother's okay. love okay. right there. I said, I, that explains a lot about you. I, I said mm, to my mother, I, I, so I said to Alana, you have to start reading history. Mm -hmm. You have to start doing this. I said, Zach and I do this. So pick a history book. She gets a, she goes, okay. She comes back and she says, one nation under sex. I said, okay, that you picked it. We're going to read it. It goes through the sex lives of all the presidents. Buchanan, little known fact, gay. And it was known at the time, written at the time. They probably had a different word for it back then. <laughs> they probably did, but it's his love letter. Confirmed gentleman. His, letter, his letters <laughs> to the Alabama senator, yeah. very clear, living together, very clear. It's without a doubt that we actually, when you think of LGBTQ rights, you think of civil rights, you think of women about. We were ahead of our times as a country. People do not give us credit what happened between 1856 and 1860. Right. We set a standard with James Buchanan. Now he sucked on everything else, but there <laughs> he was, God bless him, he was ahead of his time. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad you cleared that did up. You, did you know? Uh, did you we know? We got that? a lot of people in here like Buchanan gay, and I'm like, look, Bill Burr, I don't have time to get into that right now. Um, did you know that? I'd heard rumors. Okay, I'm going to get but, you. But you know, I'm one, one of those nation. people like, I think it's up to Buchanan yeah. to, to reveal yeah. it. You Alabama know, I don't want to out him. <laughs> That's his choice. Well, well, the, it's amazing to me. It's not only that, is that it was talked about openly and like in a society that was clearly not as sophisticated as ours. About, right. like, like, whoa. So I'm going to send you some books on reading because I know you love presidential history. I like all kinds of history, but oh, yeah, yeah, sure. I know I will. I, would, yeah, I love history. I read it nonstop. What's your favorite history book? If you had to pick one, Desert Island. Uh, no, I'm not going to do that. So here's what I'll do. Uh, on the Holocaust, I, I love Daniel um, uh, Mendelssohn's book, uh, Six of Six Million. Okay. It's a recording of, it's a story of the story of finding, it won the Pulitzer. It's a great book. On civil rights, there's this great book called uh, The Sword and the Shield. It's about mm -hmm. the history of the relationship between Dr. King and Malcolm X and how yep. they learned from each other. 
Um, on um, Lincoln, I still think Gary uh, Will's book on Gettysburg is yep. how he wove the Declaration of Independence into the Civil Rights, uh, into the Constitution, the fabric yep. of it. I think that was a brilliant book. Right. There's like so many good Franklin Delano Roosevelt books. I do. You know I, a book I go back to a lot, and huh. I think I just read it for the third time, uh, um, was Guns of August because uh, Barbara Tuckman's yeah. book on the beginning of World yeah. War One, just because it's all about how humans, this is how humans behave, and this is how humans start a war where millions and millions of people were killed and no one even knew why and no one wanted to go into it. I don't yeah. know, I find that I, always I, compelling. Right now I would read uh, Paris 1919. Yeah, uh, that's a great that. book. Right yeah. And then there's, uh, that is a great book. And then I think from military history, I love Max Hastings. I think he's one of the great military historians. I read a recent great book on the Cuban Missile Crisis, which I think is an important book at this time. Well, this podcast has always been about getting people to read. Wait a minute, that's a different that? podcast. How are you yeah, doing yeah. That's not, not our podcast. <laughs> our podcast makes people dumber. <laughs> <laughs> but those are great recommendations. Um, Thanks for having, taking the time with me. I really appreciate it. I was against it. I'm still against it. <laughs> no. And I'm pretty sure- Let me ask you a question. Does this hour come down to like three minutes? It was a short podcast. Do you guys- We are going to cut this so much. No that you're going to introduce yourself and then you're going to be listing books <laughs> and then your and then your ass is out the door. Well, yeah, you know my no, mother No, this has been this has been wait, great. Wait, 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 I give my mother your phone number. No, 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 no. No, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. No. Okay. Either I get the full run, no edits, or you, my mother gets you your phone number. You get the full run. <laughs> okay. Do, yeah. Can you imagine? Do you think I would edit a second of this? I am terrified of you. I'm thinking your family. I, I am thinking of I'm thinking <laughs> of li- this I'm thinking episode. of de- airlifting my mother to Beijing. Okay. I think she'll fi- the system will crumble in one minute. <laughs> she will be running she, be in, in the hidden city hiding from Marsha Emanuel. <laughs> uh, Rom, thank you so much. Ambassador Rom. No, Ambassador. MB Rom. No, Ambassador. Excellency. Most high. We bow to you. Um, thank you for being <laughs> here, you. for yelling at me, insulting me, but also bringing us your wisdom. But both of us are better for it. No, I'm worse. <laughs> <laughs> That's all. Goodbye. Conan O'Brien needs a friend. With Conan O'Brien, Sonam Obsessian, and Matt Gourley. Produced by me, Matt Gourley. Executive produced by Adam Sachs, Nick Liao, and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson and Cody Fisher at Earwolf. Theme song by The White Stripes. Incidental music by Jimmy Vivino. Take it away, Jimmy. Our supervising producer is Aaron Blair, and our associate talent producer is Jennifer Samples. Engineering by Eduardo Perez. Additional production support by Mars Melnick. Talent booking by Paula Davis, Gina Batista, and Britt Kahn. You can rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts, and you might find your review read on a future episode. Got a question for Conan? Call the Team Coco hotline at 669-587-2847 and leave a message. It, too, could be featured on a future episode. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. At Delta, we know Mike in 8C prefers reality TV to reality. So we provide more than 1,000 hours of in-flight entertainment. On the next flight, 8C is Mandy, a foodie. So we offer all types of food options. Because at Delta, everyone flies their own way. Delta, keep climbing. Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. 
The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix.